Well, it's been a public holiday in the US, so things are a bit quieter this morning. In the meantime, well, the Bank of Japan meets tomorrow. Just as their producer prices edge up, we get a slew of data from China. But just how quick will the recovery be there? Unemployment data from the UK with the governor of the Bank of England warning that the tight labour market and the strikes could slow down the fall in prices. And the Aussie consumer confidence numbers, they're out today as well. It's Tuesday, the 17th of January, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar is marginally up this morning, about 0.2% on the DXY index. The Japanese yen up yesterday, but down two-thirds of 1% today. The Aussie and the pound down about 0.2%, a little less for the euro. Uh, the Aussie now on 69.5 US cents. But it did, I mean, a bit of volatility during the day. It did touch 70 cents today uh, for the first time since August 2021. No movements in US equities, of course, because it's a, a public holiday in the United States. But small gains in Europe, the Eurostoxx 50 and the FTSE 1, up about 0.2% at close, a 0.3% gain on the DAX. Bond yields up slightly in Europe, but not much. And oil falling today, a 1.5% drop for Brent and WTI. Brent around $84 now. So light on action, but of course in America they'll be getting back to work later on. Ray Atrell is at work bright and early this morning from NAB in Sydney. So if we look at the uh, the futures, uh, Ray, even though uh, the equity markets are closed, the futures for the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq are both down a little today. So the optimism we talked about yesterday, I mean, no doubt it's still there, but it's not without a bit of caution, it's fair to say. But, uh, no, I think so. And, uh, you know, we're, we're getting into the thick of, of US earnings season. Um, we've got Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley reporting uh, tonight, haven't we? So, um, you know, we haven't didn't see a lot of reaction really to the uh, to the first of the bank's earnings numbers last week. Market's sort of a little bit flat footed, knowing what to make of them at least. So, um, but yes, I think you're right. Just uh, just a sort of a slightly more cautious tone. Although, um, you know, on days when you know the cash market's closed and bond markets are closed, there's nothing for the US market to key off. And and European stocks haven't really provided much of a lead for for US futures. We've got very small small gains there and, and very minor moves. In, uh, in bond markets. And, you know, just that's probably the standout is that the US dollar has made a little bit of a recovery, and um, which is sort of led by, by dollar yen, which I'm sure we'll, we'll discuss in the context of the Bank of Japan momentarily. Well, like now, actually, I mean, the only other point I was going to make was Aussie equities were doing very well yesterday because the ASX 200 was at a, a nine month high. But I guess that is just picking up from uh, where the US left off on Friday would be a chunk of that, wouldn't it? Right. But yeah. the, uh, the Bank of Japan, so tomorrow, we we had producer prices rising more than expected in December. We 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 learned that yesterday. Half percent month on month for December, ten point two percent year on year. Uh, so that's got to be uh, a sign, hasn't it, for the Bank of Japan? Tell me if they do do something tomorrow. What is it going to be? And we talked yesterday about you know well maybe they're going to increase the tolerance on their yield control curve. Now, if uh, if they're going to do that, I mean, what difference does that make to simply lifting rates? What exactly is the benefit of that? I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> well, the benefit of that is um, that remember that we had some so-called source reports from Japanese media last week saying that the Bank of Japan was going to discuss potential dysfunction in markets as a result of what they had done in December when they lifted the the ceiling on the yield curve control um, policy from 25 basis points to 50 basis points, which saw JGB yields immediately, um, you know, spike up to that 0.5% ceiling. Um, there is what we call a kink in the yield curve where 10-year yields are, are suppressed 
relative to <coughs> surrounding maturities, um, you know, and, and effectively the Bank of Japan's actions in December haven't done anything to remove that. Mm. And in fact, the Bank of Japan has had to step up its bond buying in defense of that 0.5% ceiling to the extent that they've bought JGBs equivalent to 5% of, GG, of uh, GDP in just the 11 working days <laughs> since that December 20th action. So, you know, arguably that is the, the dysfunction that, that, that they're referencing uh, and potentially lifting that uh, ceiling by another 25 or 50 basis points, um, you know, they would hope would then alleviate the needs to have to continue to buy JGB so aggressively, but whether they will do something, you know, literally within sort of four or five weeks of, of, of the policy that they did in December, which obviously blindsided markets, but it's clearly not the BOJ's modus operandi, you know, to be moving so rapidly on policy. So whether we're going to see something on Wednesday, um, Rodrigo's back in town yesterday, him and I discussing the Bank of Japan, you know, my sense is that, uh, that they may have to, to bow to market pressures and do something. Um, you know, you'll be you'll be talking to Rodrigo tomorrow, and uh, and you may well get a different opinion. So, uh, and because of the unpredictability, um, you know, you can't have a view with any with any conviction. So, so the question would be, if they do lift the ceiling again, um, you know, again that will be interpreted as sounding the the death knell on the whole YCC policy. If not now, then as early as say late in Q two. Um, but whether that just means that they've just put upward pressure across the whole yield curve uh, and we still get a sort of a kink at that 10-year point and the Bank of Japan still having to defend it with um, with fairly aggressive JGB purchases is the sort of is the unanswerable question ahead of the event. But they're not just going to say, well, OK, that's broken. Let's just we, 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 we are starting to get concerned about inflation now. Uh, let's do what everyone else is doing and lift interest rates. Well, that is that is you know, that's the big policy step. But you know, if the BOJ is going to be in any way true to its own rhetoric, um, it's going to want to see the results of the spring wage rounds, which we really won't mm. know. Um, you know, until as late as July, to be honest. That um, wow. you know, and the policy and, and the, the view has been that we don't think two percent plus inflation is sustainable unless we see meaningful signs of higher wages growth. Now we've seen some anecdotal evidence. Um, fast retailing, the owner of, of the owner of Uniqlo, which I think we've talked about, forty percent pay rises for some staff. So um, mm. um, you know, there yeah. is some anecdotal evidence that it's starting to happen, but on a, on a countrywide basis, it's not clear that that's going to happen. But going back to your, you know reference to producer prices, another upside surprise, the Tokyo CPI numbers that we had last week have got core inflation at 4%. Um, and we do also know that the Bank of Japan is, if we believe the source story, is going to upgrade its inflation forecasts on Wednesday. The question there is, will they upgrade them to say that, you know, we do now think that that 2% inflation is, uh, is sustainable? Um, and if the answer is yes, that could well be accompanied by you know, speculation of an earlier abandonment of YCC. But um, if they're still mm. saying we think inflation will be sub 2% in sort of on a one to two year view, um, you know, you'd think that they're then going to stick to their guns. So, um, and I think you've got to distinguish between, you know, what is a policy change? <laughs> is lifting the YCC target, or not target the ceiling, a policy change? Governor Corolla told us it wasn't last week and the market kind of um, guffawed, I think. <laughs> given mm. the impact that it had on markets, particularly the currency market. So, so anyway, all that but to say, lots is going to turn on uh, on what the Bank of Japan does this week. But, um, so, 
Yeah. So just uh, on the Fed, so I thought an interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal uh, on their website this morning about the recovery that we've been seeing in bond markets, more than expected, and uh, and how that's pushing into other assets, particularly shares, which is obviously good for investors uh, with lower rates. But I mean, they raised the you know the obvious question: Will all that enthusiasm rub off on the Fed? Will the Fed think, well, okay? I mean, with all this enthusiasm, markets starting to run a bit hotter than we expected. I mean, the other point they make as well, if the economy recovers without a recession, then the Fed isn't going to be in any rush to cut rates either. Yet markets obviously have priced that they, that they are going to do that. So that shows that, you know, uh, good can be bad, you know, and, and there's still a lot of known unknowns this year. No, absolutely. I mean, I think to that point about sort of, you know, bond yields declining, but also remember the dollar, how much the dollar, the dollar is off, you know, almost 10% or slightly more than yeah. 10% from its highs. That all leads into what are called financial conditions, which very crudely, you know, consists of, you know, what policy rates are doing, what bond yields are doing, what the currency is doing, what credit spreads are doing, etc. And, and financial conditions, you know, have clearly eased quite materially in the last since the December Fed meeting. And that is a, a message, I think, that uh, the Fed is really going to try and ram home, um, you know, on February the 1st, which is the next Fed meeting that, um, you know, again, they're going to you know, reiterate this message that we don't see any chance of was cutting rates in 2024, markets are ahead of themselves, um, you know, and the rhetoric will only change when there is supreme confidence that inflation is not only falling, but it's falling towards the 2% target. And, you know, as for the, the labour market and the discussion you're having with Taylor about, you know, is a soft landing more possible? It's all, it's all really about wages. I mean, it is possible that, you know, we can get inflation under control without the unemployment rate, for example, going from where are we, 3.5, 3.6, up to 5%, as long as wages growth, you know, comes down to levels consistent with the inflation target. And, you know, the last three months, the run rate is, is running at no more than 4%, which um, mm -hmm. somewhere between three and four, the Fed would deem consistent with inflation over time. So um, it's certainly yeah. possible that we can see that, that, that wages decline. But unless until it's abundantly clear that it's happening and it's durable, um, the Fed is not going to change its tune. They're going to carry on. Yeah, yeah. So uh, China's GDP for Q4 today, some other data as well, quite a bit, you know, quite a bit of uh, in the way of numbers from there. But uh, of course, I mean, this is ancient history because this was all before they, you know, back when they were trying to deal with COVID and that horse, horse has bolted now. So, I mean, I suspect that makes these numbers not particularly useful. I mean, your views on that. But also, interestingly, 60,000 fatalities now between the 8th of December and the 12th of January in China. And the Lunar New Year, those celebrations kicking off on the 21st of January. So lots of people traveling. So, I mean, we're talking about a recovery, but the, but the reality that uh, there's a lot of disease around could really delay the speed of that recovery. We're expecting it to be quite quick because we're going, oh, well, you know, people will get uh, uh, herd immunity quickly. But they will also be fearful with those sorts of numbers of, of, of going about the, the, their daily lives. No, absolutely. But I think on that sort of herd immunity view, I mean, the speed with which you know, we've seen the about turn on zero COVID is, is, you know, is inevitably producing some, some pretty you know, distressing um, you know, health statistics, although you have to put that 60,000, whether we believe the 60,000 any more than any other numbers that we've had. But in the context of the size of the China population, it's actually, you know, it doesn't seem to be dramatically worse than we've seen in other countries that have shifted or pivoted towards that living with COVID state of affairs. But um, um, as you say, and in the new year, there does seem to be you know, a huge pent up demand for travel, but whether or not um, you know, we won't see nearly as much as we would otherwise have done because of the current, uh, um, you know, the current state of, of, of COVID. You know, we'll obviously we'll, we'll learn that in the next couple of weeks because Lunar New Year is the twenty. 
Is it the 26th of January? It's the, it's, it's the start mm. of the Lunar New Year week, at least. Um, but it does mean that the interpretation of the data is going to be impacted because, um, you know, we do know that the first response to the lifting of restrictions was to see reductions in mobility rather than increases because the fear of going out into community where, you know, COVID is rife as opposed to one where officially it's, it's, it's zero are very, very different. Um, so we do think that the GDP numbers are going to be, um, you know, pretty weak. So the expectation is that we're going to see what about a one percent quarterly gain. Um, sorry, minus one point. Oh, sorry, minus one percent on the quarter, which would reduce mm. annual growth to what two point seven percent for the year. But uh, probably more interesting, the monthly activity uh, numbers and industrial production, retail sales, uh, and fixed asset investment all expected to be materially weaker or certainly industrial production, retail sales, fixed asset investment might not be quite, quite so weak because that's really the object of the uh, the government's desire when it comes to providing stimulus to the economy. So, um, you know, we might see those yeah. numbers holding up, but I think the production sales numbers will show the full force of, of the short-term impact of opening up. And this enthusiasm, obviously, is, is a big contributor to why we've seen iron ore. So iron ore prices, two-thirds higher than they were in early November. Massive increase in iron ore prices. China is obviously worried about that that they've announced that they are keeping an eye on the market to crack down on the dissemination of false uh, priced information or information prices uh, uh, hoarding and price gouging they're they're onto all of it they they, they, I'm, i'm not sure whether there's any of that going on but clearly they're saying keep the price down so i mean we see we see this every you know every few months don't we whenever prices yeah. have risen dramatically i think more importantly remember before um before christmas um this um uh, um outfit that china has created effectively this entity uh, that effectively amalgamates all of the um the, the iron ore buyers and steel makers in china into one effective conglomerate trying to create um what's the word a monopsony anopsony a single buyer um rather than having you know multiple people negotiating with um you know the likes of of, of bhp and varley they're trying mm. to create a sole buyer and they will be the biggest buyer by far in in world markets that can effectively exert some muscle against the selling power of the, the big them. iron ore producers. And we did see some, we did see something of a dip in December on the news that, um, that they were going to be up and running in January. So um, whether this weakness that we're seeing is, is a result of those headlines about crackdowns on speculators or, or whether it is uh, more meaningful um, because uh, China is flexing its muscles in terms of its buying power um, remains mm. to be seen. But, um, you know, but, right. but you know, in, in the meantime, expectations that, uh, you know, infrastructure, particularly in residential property, is, is, going to, is going to see a meaningful increase, basically, once we get through this, this COVID wave. I think it is the primary driver of, of right. iron ore prices. And uh, generally, we speak, we think industrial metals prices are going to remain relatively elevated as a yeah. result of that. And all of this, obviously, you know, the, this recovery in China, no doubt helping with Australian consumer confidence. We get those numbers today. Uh, how much have they come down? Over 100 last February, down to uh, below 78 in November. But they did pick up just a little bit in December. So, which way are they going to go today? Well, it's uh, there's, there's not a, it's not a, a survey. We don't survey surveys, if you like. Same with the NAB, uh, <laughs> business survey. I mean, those numbers that we had, that small bounce, still left them languishing pretty close to the March 2020, you know, early stage Low. pandemic lows, and not mm. too far above the lows that we saw during the GFC. So, um, you know, obviously yeah. whether the you know the 
um, the impact of, of, of rising interest rates and the expectation of more to come are still going to be the dominant influence. We do know, as we've seen in, and said almost ad nausea in other countries, is watch what consumers do rather than what they say. You know, in the US, there have been equal, um, you know, depths of despair in terms of consumer confidence and consumer spending held up pretty well in the fourth quarter. Um, And the retail sales numbers that we've had here, um, you know, punched the lights out, didn't they? So, um, you know, so in that sense, I don't think we should read too much into whatever those numbers dish up today. Maybe it's just a message to uh, to central banks to try and get them to stop lifting rates. Perhaps who knows? <laughs> I don't know if people quite think quite that far. Uh, but look, uh, however bad it is in Australia, it's it's not the UK. Uh, so you've got to be grateful for that. Uh, we get UK labour market data today. Incidentally, teachers have, uh, be, have voted to go on strike there today as well, just to add them to the list of people not working. And in fact, that labour force, the shrinkage of the labour force and all those strikes is something Andrew Bailey from the Bank of England has been uh, saying today that, you know, that, that that is a problem for the UK. You know, Brexit won't have helped with that either. But the labour shortage could delay prices coming down, is his warning. So almost certainly uh, we're going to get that 10th rate rise in a row next month. No, we are. And unless we see a, you know, an unexpected and significant decline in the wages numbers that we'll get today, which, as I say, the consensus is, what, for uh, 6.1% for uh, average uh, earnings, uh, three month year on year, and the X bonus measure up to up to 6.3 from 6.1. So that really will play to uh, the Governor Bailey's warnings that it's the declining pool of labour. Um, that is a significant source of ongoing upward pressure on wages. And uh, it's a mess, but, you know, the the messaging from the, you know, if we're playing the, as they say, playing the man rather than the ball or playing the person rather than the ball, the messaging from the governor is that, um, you know, while the labour market looks as tight as it is and wages are going up, we're going to push on with the job. And everyone's everyone's going much better price for Every, 50 basis public points. sector workers going on strike are mm. wanting more money so mm. those those wages are not going to come down very quickly they you know potentially could go up if everyone gets their way because a lot of public sector workers now on strike it's almost every section of the, the public service and then if the bank of england lifts rates as well and everyone's going to go plus our mortgages are going up now we want even more money so uh, it's going to delay inflation uh, push up interest rates and push up demands for wages i mean it's going to elongate the whole process isn't well it? that's possible this is the whole second round effect uh, concern yeah. that is plaguing central bankers, obviously, and interesting on what happens on the public sector. And it's a, you know, it's a not dissimilar story down here, where it's private sector wages that are driving, you know, the rises that we're seeing in annual wages growth. Um, you know, we haven't seen it to any to any extent to date, at least as far as the public sector is concerned. So, uh, yeah. but in the UK, if, if as a result of these strikes, as you say, public sector wages start to grow, then you know that just becomes a bigger headache as far as the uh, as far as the Bank of England that is concerned but say as things stand um say markets are pretty confident that you know the bank's going to deliver another 50 basis points of tightening on the 2nd of february and as i say it's going to need a, a big downside surprise on wages today to, to alter those expectations we'll watch one see how that one is received uh, very quickly then before we go uh, canada's cpi so you know seven hikes last year from the bank of canada that's a full four percent uh is that is it working is is uh, is inflation going to start falling well, the expectation today is that it will, um, but not by a great amount. I think for the headline numbers, 6.4 down from 6.8 is the expectation, but the core measures are down only sort of a 0.1% or so on the previous readings, but uh, trending in the right direction. And certainly the messaging from 
the Bank of Canada is that uh, they should be close to done. If I look at the, um, you know, if I look at money market pricing, we've got about 20 basis points in for the um, for the next meeting, which is the 25th. So that's next week, isn't it, effectively? Mm. So, um, you know, rather than debate about 25 or 50, the debate is already shifting to, is it 25 or nothing, for example? So um, assuming that we don't see any significant upside surprises from CPI today, I think, uh, you know, the market will, will, will remain of the view that uh, any further rate rises are going to be small in size and there aren't many more um, left in the right, chamber. So inflation has peaked is the uh, interpretation out of all of that for Canada. Yep, that seems to be the message. Right, and around the world, hopefully, bit by bit as the months go on. Uh, good to talk, Ray. Uh, we'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Well, thanks, Phil. And that's it for today. Back again tomorrow morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll catch you then.